You know, jogging and walking through the summer, very, very popular when I'm out on the trail riding my bike. You know, it seems like every three seconds I'm saying hi to somebody. Hello, hi, hi, hello. It's good exercise, I'll tell you. Very, very popular to be out and walking. One of the things I enjoy most through the summer is the evenings walking through the neighborhood with my wife, hand in hand. It's a great, great exercise, good, good, good stuff, my friends. You know, the Christian life can be compared to a walk. As a matter of fact, it's one of the Apostle Paul's favorite words to talk about the life of a believer. Think about it, the Christian life begins with a step of faith, but that step leads to a walk of faith, doesn't it? Walk being a metaphor for living. Walking suggests progress, and we must make progress in this Christian life. And here in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul gives us instruction on how we should be walking in order that we might grow. Two instructions here, my friends, in 12 verses. It won't be a long sermon, but I hope it changes everything for you as you live out this faith in Jesus. Paul gives us, us, uh, gives us his first instruction here in verses 1 to 8, and that instruction is this, walk in holiness. Walk in holiness. And there's that word holiness. We know that God is holy. We know very little about this term, what exactly it means. So I want to define it before we apply it this morning. Holiness simply means set apart for a particular purpose. When God instructed Solomon to build the temple and all of the instruments and the laver and the bowls and all of these things, these, these, these furnitures inside the temple, they were holy to the Lord. In what way? How is a thing holy? It was set apart for a particular use, a particular purpose. We have things in our house that we set apart. Perhaps we have a set of dishes that we only pull out for the dearest of friends and family, special occasions. When we touch those things, something big is happening in our life. God has called you to be holy. In other words, hear me when I say this, he has set you apart from the rest of the world. We are the church. He has called us out of the world, and he has set us apart for a particular purpose. In that, we are holy. But what we're going to talk a little bit more about is the practical aspect of holiness. But it all begins by understanding this truth. You have been set apart by God for a particular purpose. So to walk in holiness means for us to set, from, uh, apart, from, uh, to set apart from the world and to set ourselves apart for God's purpose. In other words, we see ourselves as set apart for God's purposes. And I wonder if you see yourself that way this morning. 
We all have an idea about who we are. We think about ourselves in a certain way. But I'll tell you what, friends, if we're going to grow in the Christian life, and if we're going to walk in holiness, we've got to start thinking of ourselves in these ways. Set apart for God to be used for His purposes that He might receive the glory and that you might find purpose and rejoicing in it. Walk in holiness. Okay, we've defined it. What does it look like? We'll take a look here in verses 1 to 2. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. First and foremost, my friends, if we are to walk in holiness, we live to please God. That is the question that we must ask when we come to a divide in the road. Shall we go this way and or that way? Shall we do this or shall we do that? Which is the road that pleases God? Which is the vocabulary that pleases God? Which is the habit that pleases God? See, my friends, if we're going to walk in holiness, and now we know that holiness means set apart for His purposes, we must be careful to live to please Him. And you know how you're going to please Him? Take a look at verse 3. <clears throat> how about we'll get a running start from verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? I'll tell you what, go to Google, say, what's the will of God for my life in the Bible? And it'll tell you, it'll list out all of these verses. And one of them that it will lay out is verse 3 of chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians. The will of God for your life is your sanctification. Now, we all know what that word means, so we'll just continue on here. How about we define that one too, friends? Sanctification is the process in which we set ourselves apart for God. More and more and more of our life we take captive in order to use the time and the treasures and the talents and opportunities to please Him for the good of others. It is the process. From the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, that process began. Your mind was changed, and you determined you were going to live differently, and you began that habit to be in the Word of God, to be led by the Spirit of God, by the words of God, and your life began to change. And the way that you perceive things going on in this world was from God's perspective. And, and then somewhere you decided, well, I mean, I don't have to do that every day. 
I mean, not this time, right? And somewhere along the line, you forgot what it was like. But friends, this is the life we are called to. So hear me. Get back to it. Get back, open up your Bible, and begin to read. I know you listen to the guy in the Open up your Bible and be led by the Spirit of God. That's where growth comes from. The Word of God is, is like bread from heaven. It nourishes us and it grows us. And it is what the Spirit of God uses in the life of the child of God to conform him to the character of Christ, the very goal of sanctification. The will of God for your life is this. You become more like Jesus. And friends, by the time it hits December's, I sure hope you're a whole lot closer to being like Jesus than you were in January. But you will be if you are in the Word of God. The will of God for your life is this. What then shall you do? So my friends, it's the will of God for your life, for this practical holiness. And notice, This is the will of God, your sanctification. What's that look like? That you abstain from sexual immorality. The Greek word behind that word sexual immorality is this, porneia. Let me say it slower. Porneia. Oh. Sexual immorality. You see, God gave sex for two purposes the perpetuation of the humanity, the race, and for the pleasure of a husband and wife. And yet people have misused this and moved outside of it, and they have dishonored God, and they have dishonored themselves. And you know what the difference is? You know why I don't cheat on my wife? You know the answer. Because I love her. And you know why I don't rebel against my God? Same answer. Because I love him. I am reminded of two men. Two men. A man named Joseph, ripped from his family, betrayed by his brothers sold as a slave, and yet God raised him all the way up into serving in the palace of Pharaoh. And apparently he was a good-looking dude. And Mrs. Pharaoh, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't Pharaoh, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, his master's wife came on to him and said, come and lie with me. Think of the joy, the experience, the happiness, the warmth, and the wonder. Joseph said, what are you, crazy? You see, what Joseph had 
is what you and I need. You know why Joseph didn't do that? It wasn't because he was afraid of getting caught. He simply said, how could I do this against my God? Now some of you might say, yeah, but look at what the Lord made him go through. Maybe he deserved a little. Not Joseph. Joseph loved his Lord. How could I do this against my God? That is the attitude we must have. How could I possibly do this against my God? How do we get that? How do you develop such an attitude as this? I'm thinking it probably has something to do with being in the Word of God. Yeah. It trains our mind. We think differently. We see things differently. And then there's David, David the king, David the warrior, David the hero. You know the guy who had the attitude, well, you know I've done a lot for the Lord. And have you seen that Bathsheba? Whoo, she's a looker. He never thought about the Lord once in it. You see why you need to be in the Word of God every day? Because the first thing you need to think about in every decision you make is how does this please Him? How can I please God in these circumstances? It's the will of God. The will of God that you learn to control your lusts. You want to be a great grandparent? It's not about having more grandkids, having babies. It is this. Teach your grandchildren how to control themselves. How to say no to every desire. To take everyone captive. I don't have to have everything I want. Yeah, but you know, I saved up for it and I... I don't have to have everything I want. Train yourself to say no, certainly to that which is evil, but also, my friends, even to those things which are good, because if we can say no to what is good, then we reserve for ourselves that which is best, that which is great. Self-control. Self-control. It's the will of God for you. Look at verse 6. Abstain from sexual immorality, he says, that each one of you might know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of the lusts of the Gentiles who do not know God. And he tells us why. That you're wrong, no one. That no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter. You see, you learn to control yourself. You're going to find you're going to hurt people less. A lot of bruises in our lives here today caused by careless people, a careless word, careless action. Never gave a second thought about it, but it still stings today, doesn't it? Control yourself, friends, that you learn to please God.
and that you wrong no one. But notice here at the end of verse 6, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, the Lord is an avenger. You say, what's that all about? What is that, a rock band? Anybody else seen that movie? No. Uh, <laughs> my friends, this is a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 35. Deuteronomy chapter 35. It's part of the clean pages in the Bible. I know it doesn't have all the stories about Jesus in it, but I'll tell you what, there is a truth in there. You see, one of the designs for God in the nation of Israel as they were going to go into this promised land, God had said, you will build six cities in the north and in the south, equal distance from all of the cities that you will be developed that already exist in this place. These will be, you know what kind of cities they will be? Say it. Louder. Can't hear you. Did you say it? Say it. Can anybody hear that? What is she saying? Cities of refuge. You say, what's that all about? And this was the rule. Say you're out chopping wood. As a matter of fact, this is the illustration the Lord gives to help understand these things. Again, Deuteronomy 35 might want to look at that this afternoon. Fascinating. He says, suppose you're out chopping wood and you swing and the head of your axe comes off and it hits your neighbor and he's dead. Now that's not murder, my friends. That's manslaughter. This is what you will do you will drop everything and run to a city of refuge. And there you will live. But there is also responsibility within the family, the family of the one who has been killed, that the next closest in line of that family shall immediately run and go and kill you. But once you hit the city of refuge, you're safe. You see, you know what the name of the person who is to run and kill you is called? The Avenger. That is the picture here, my friends. The Avenger. The Lord will avenge. There are consequences to your actions. And you want to avoid these consequences, my friends? It is the will of God, your sanctification, that you wrong no one, and that in doing so you avoid the Lord's discipline. Look at verse 7. Here's the summary. For the Lord has not called us for impurity, but holiness. And now we know what that word means, and we go, okay, I get it. He's called us, that we pour our whole lives into living for Him. And there we will find our blessing. There will we find our purposes. There will we find our joy. And when we come to the end of our life, we will not wonder if we wasted it. Therefore, whoever disregards this, talking about this teaching that Paul has laid out here, 
Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So walk in holiness, my friends. And here in verses 9 to 12, he gives a second instruction on how it is we ought to live by walking properly, properly. And how do we do that? We love one another. Look at verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. What's it mean to love someone? It is a sacrificial investment in someone else. It means it costs you something to benefit somebody else. Love is not a feeling. We often confuse the feeling that follows such activities with love itself. But love is the sacrificial investment. Melanie and I have uh, developed a pattern in our life. Instead of saying, I love you so much, is that when Melanie gets up and fixes me a nice breakfast and there's bacon, you know what I say? I say, you love me. You love me. And we acknowledge these sacrifices for the good of someone else. I only get two slices. That's the love part. <laughs> but love, walk properly, my friends, by loving one another. God is most certainly the best teacher, and the greatest example of love has been given to us by God. No man has greater love than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Sacrificial investment in you and in me. God is the best teacher, but listen to me, my friends. Reputa uh, repetition is the best, me best method. Verse 10, Paul says, well, that's indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. You know what he's talking about there? Growing. There's more room for more. To understand more, to live it out, to practice it, to show it. And sometimes the best places are when it's the hardest to do. That's where the growth takes place. Easy to be kind to people who are kind. What if they're waving fingers at you out the back of their window? You love those people? Huh? Huh? And so we walk properly in this world by loving one another and living in peace, verse 11. He says, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. In other words, you're going to be a positive impact on the people around you, living in peace, being positive influence. Well, let's wrap it up, my friends. Let's wrap it up. Live a holy life that pleases God and positively impacts others. And it is there that you will find joy 
It is there that you will find your satisfaction. It is there that you will, you will rejoice in a God who gave you this new life. So practice self-control. Learn to overcome your sinful desires. Learn to say no to yourself. Yes, I could do this. There's nothing wrong with this. Learn to say no. Learn to say no. Remind yourself that you are set apart for God, not yourself. God did not give this life to you, this life of forgiveness and hope that you might live wantonly and selfishly, but that you might live for Him. For in living for Him, my friend, there's the magic, there is the reward, there is the joy. And then I ask you this, is holiness your goal? Has it ever crossed your mind that I would like to be more holy? It's been something I've been wrestling with for quite a period of time now. That I am not the man of God I ought to be. The man of God I long to be which means I'm not the husband I ought to be, which means I snap at my wife sometimes. If you're not praying for your pastor, if somehow you've got the illusion he doesn't need it, you're wrong. Oh, how wrong you are. I say that publicly because I snapped at her publicly. I sinned against my wife. And while I've made it right for her, I ask your forgiveness or being the kind of man that could do such a thing. Friends, we've got to be more. We've got to be focused on what is right and what is good and what honors him. The blessings of God fall on that sort of person, every man, woman, and child. Make holiness your goal in your speech, in your habits, in your relationships. Nothing is hidden from the Lord, my friends. Start from the heart. Start with the heart. David after his sin. You can read about his response in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. They are sad psalms of a man who realizes the weightiness of his sin, crying out to God, created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That's a prayer. Father, help us. Some heavy stuff, some truth that we need to come nose to nose with. Oh, Father, continue that work of conforming us to the character of your Son. You have called us before the foundation of the world that we might be holy. You are holy. We must be wholly committed to you. 
living out every moment for your pleasure, to please you and to cause praise of your name. Help us, God, that we might not live in a way that shames you, but that pleases you, I pray. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.